0: CHAPTER V OF THE ADVENTURES OF A GRAIN OF DUST BY HALLAM Hawkesworth. THIS LIBRIVOX RECORDING IS IN THE PUBLIC DOMAIN WHAT THE EARTH Owes TO THE EARTHWORM MAY IT MAY BE DOUBTED WHETHER THERE ARE MANY OTHER ANIMALS WHICH HAVE PLAYED SO IMPORTANT A PART IN THE HISTORY OF THE WORLD AS THESE LOWLY ORGANIZED CREATURES DARWIN THE FORMATION OF VEGETABLE MOLD WHAT THE EARTH Owes TO THE EARTHWORM suppose father had a hired hand who would plough his fields fertilize them at his own expense build his own house board himself and for all this ask only the privilege of living on the place studying botany geology and geometry and enjoying the scenery where can i get a man like that i imagine father saying you've got him now you might reply he's already working for you thousands of him and has been working for you millions of him for thousands and millions of years we have all known him well from boyhood by several names—angoworm, fishworm, earthworm. He also, as you will find in the dictionary, has a nice long Latin title, and it is particularly fitting that his name should be so associated with antiquity, since he belongs to one of the oldest families of the world, a family far older than the Roman Empire itself, which his people long ago helped grind back to the dust from which it came. And speaking of Romans— every few years mr earthworm does what julius caesar did captures the whole of england all the best parts of it and then unlike caesar gives it back to the english made over again better than it was before as you will see one the cities of worms if you happen to be a high school boy you of course know about a certain city of worms and what great things took place there once upon a time but there are many cities of worms on any good farm and each has more inhabitants than the famous city of worms of history something like twenty five thousand to the acre and in garden soil fifty thousand did you ever notice how big boulders in a field are frequently sunk into the ground as if dropped from a great height it is the earthworms that help sink them in the course of their soil making they like the moist shelter of the stones and burrow under them finally the weight of the stones crushes the burrows and so the stones sink down pioneer life among the earthworms poor soil as every boy knows is a poor place to look for fishworms but you have noticed that the mounds the worm throws up on such soil are larger than those on rich soil the reason is that the soil being less nutritious the worm must eat more of it and in doing so pulverizes and fertilizes it but a menu of earth alone not being to the earthworm's liking undesirable regions have fewer of these farmers working underground and this for the same reason that these regions are sparsely settled on the surface it is so hard to make a living so the earthworms may be said to have a decided taste in landscape they don't care for desert scenery like jerome's picture of the lion's big front yard but they are very fond of orchards where the soil is rich and leaves are plenty the pathways artists are fond of putting in landscapes would also probably attract the eyes of earthworms if they had any for the worms prefer soil a little packed as it is in pathways because it makes more substantial burrows and singularly enough the worms also like most the very thing that the artist emphasizes to lead the eye into his picture the border lines that define the path it is along the edges of a pathway that you find most worms the earthworm in addition to working over and fertilizing the soil already made actually helps make soil out of rock he does this in two ways one with acids for like the little old man of the rock he is a chemist two by grinding up rock in a little mill he always carries with him how the earthworm cooks his meals the earthworm's favourite diet is leaves and he has a way of cooking them it is not quite like our way of cooking beet or dandelion leaves but it answers the same purpose it partially digests them in glands in his mouth he secretes a fluid which like our saliva contains an alkali but the earthworm's alkaline solution is much stronger and when he covers a fresh green leaf with it as he is usually obliged to do in summer when there are so few stale vegetables the kind he prefers in his market the leaf quickly turns brown and becomes as soft as a boiled cabbage of course there are always dead leaves in the woods and these which even the cow with her fine digestive outfit cannot handle are a delight to the earthworm for he also has a much larger supply of pancreatic juice than the higher animals and this takes care of the leaves after he has swallowed them he swallows bit by bit just like a nice little boy who has been taught not to bolt his food the acids in the earthworm's stomach acting on the leaves help make other acids which remain in the soil after it has passed through the earthworm's body and help dissolve those fine grains of sand which make your bare feet so gritty when mud dries on them and not only that but this coating of soil lying upon the bedrock hastens its decay For the earthworm's burrow runs down four to six feet sometimes farther besides the soil he thus grinds up and fertilizes so well with leaf-mould what your textbook on agriculture calls humus the earthworm does a lot of useful grinding in connection with the building of his house he begins as we do by digging the cellar but there he stops for his house is all cellar he makes it in two ways one by pushing aside the earth as he advances two by swallowing earth and passing it through his body, thus making the little mounds you see on the surface. THE EARTHWORM SYSTEM AT PANAMA A principle similar to his swallowing operations is frequently employed in engineering, as in making the Panama Canal, where dredging machinery dug out swamps and pumped the mud through a tube into other swamps to fill them up and help get rid of the mosquitoes. In pushing the earth away, the worm uses the principle of the wedge, stretching out his nose as you have often seen him do when crawling and poking it into the crevices in the ground much as the wheat roots poke their little noses through the fertile soil the earthworm makes and as in human engineering and the work of the ant the earthworm doesn't throw the dirt around carelessly he casts it out first on one side and then on the other using his tail to spread it about neatly the tiling in the earthworm's house the walls of the earthworm's house are plastered too at first they are made a little larger than his body then he coats them with earth ground very fine like the clay for making our cups and saucers and for making the beautiful white tiling on the walls at the stations of a city subway when this earthworm porcelain dries it forms a lining hard and smooth which keeps the earthworm's tender body from being scratched as he moves up and down his long hallway it also enables him to travel faster because it is smooth and it strengthens the walls the burrows which run far down into the ground as all finally do toward autumn end in a little chamber into this tiny bedroom the worm retires during the hot dry days of august and there he spends the winter usually with several companions all sound asleep packed together for warmth and rugs on the floors sometimes the summer and winter residences are quite ambitious several burrows opening into one large chamber and each tunnel having two sometimes three chambers of its own like a fashionable apartment with its main reception-room, and still more like the central sitting-rooms in Greek and Roman palaces. And the earthworm seems even to have some idea of mosaics, for it is the general practice to pave these chambers with little pebbles about the size of a mustard seed. This is to help keep the worm's body from the cold ground. In addition to the mosaic floors, the earthworms have rugs with lovely leaf patterns like the oriental rugs that are so highly prized and as in the case of genuine oriental rugs no two patterns are alike these rugs are leaves which the earthworm drags into his burrow not for food but for house furnishing when used for house furnishing they are placed in the entrance hall that is to say they are used to coat the mouth of the burrow to prevent the worm's body from coming in contact with the ground the mouth of the burrow of course is just where it is coldest at night in the summer the time of year when the earthworm spends a great deal of his time In the front of his house the surface of the earth you know cools very rapidly after sunset and the dew on the grass in the morning is so cold it makes your bare feet ache the worm requires damp earth around him because he breathes through his skin and must keep it moist but at the same time he is sensitive to cold and to drafts hug pebble fortress defenses against the foe so he is very careful to keep the front door closed This he does by stopping it up with leaves, leaf stems, and sticks. He also protects the door with little heaps of smooth round pebbles. But these pebbles are of a larger size than those he uses for paving the floor of his chamber. Besides helping to keep out draughts, these pebbles serve another purpose. As our ancestors, the cave-builders, barred the door with boulders to keep out bears and other unwelcome callers, so the earthworms are protected by the pebbles, to a certain extent from one of their enemies, the thousand-legged worm. Because of these little forts, the earthworms can remain with more safety near the doorway, and enjoy the warmth of the morning sun. So we might have reproduced Coort's morning as a kind of landscape the earthworm enjoys. 2. The Mind of the Earthworm. From all of which you can see, the earthworm, for what little schooling he gets, is a very bright boy. If we were as bright, according to our opportunities, we would probably have answered long ago such puzzles as the question whether there is really anybody at home in mars how to keep stored eggs from tasting of the shell and other great scientific problems of our day where mr earthworm keeps his brain just as we have little brains in the tips of our fingers the earthworms have brains in the ends of their noses they have neither eyes nor ears but like that wonderful girl helen keller they make up for the lack of these senses to a remarkable degree by the development of the sense of touch they acquire quite a little knowledge of botany for example they not only know that leaves are good to eat but they know which is the petiole and which is the base they always drag leaves into their burrows by the smallest ends because this makes it easier to get them through the door and it is not by mere instinct that they do this supply worms with leaves of different form from those which grow in the regions where they live and they will experiment with them until they find just the best way in which to pull them into the burrows after that they will always take hold of them so without further experiment that is the majority of them will do this for earthworms are like other little people all of them are not equally ambitious or studious and the earthworm also knows something about geometry cut paper into little triangles of various shapes and pretend to the worms that they are leaves by scattering them near the mouths of the burrows then remove the leaves with which the burrows are stopped the worms will pull in the slips to close the door and they will most of them take hold by the apex of the triangle because that is the narrowest point the earthworm's taste in music so you see the earthworm is a very cultivated country gentleman with his knowledge of botany and geometry and his taste for landscape but this is not all he also has opinions about music there are certain notes that apparently get on his nerves put worms in good soil in a flower-pot and some evening when they are lying outside their burrows set the pot on the piano and strike the note c in the bass clef instantly they will pull themselves into their burrows they will do the same thing at the sound of g above the line in the treble clef although they cannot hear they are sensitive to vibrations and these are carried from the sounding board of the piano into the pot they are less sensitive when the pot itself is tapped the music seems to go right through them why the early bird gets the worm except in rainy weather worms ordinarily come out of their burrows only at night by early morning they have withdrawn to their holes and lie with their noses close to the surface to get the warmth of the morning sun then the early bird gets them the reason a robin cocks his head in such a funny way like a lord with a monocle just before he captures a worm it's not because he is listening as many people think for the worm isn't saying a word and he isn't moving and wouldn't make a bit of noise if he did move the robin's eyes are on each side of his head and not in the middle of his face like ours so he must turn his head in order to bring his eye in line with the hole where he sees the tip of mr earthworm's nose and many people also believe that earthworms come down with the rain even park policemen believe it at least one said to me in central park in dry spells won't see one but let there come a little shower and the walks and the drives will be covered with em like the fairy stones that fall with rain in the old country do earthworms come down with the rain the reason you see so many worms after a rain is that earthworms like moisture and the rain seems to make them feel particularly good and breed a spirit of adventure so out of their holes and away they go. A rain is their shower-bath. And you know how a shower-bath makes you feel. The mornings when the earthworms are apt to be thickest are those following a comparatively light rain in early spring, when the worms have recently awakened from their long winter nap. With the beginning of the rainy season in the fall, the worms also do a good deal of travelling into foreign lands. But in both spring and fall, you will usually find more worms after a light shower "'and after a long, heavy downpour. "'If the worms were drowned out, "'it would be the other way around, don't you see? "'To be sure, you will often find dead worms "'in shallow pools by the roadside, "'particularly after autumn rains. "'These are sick worms, "'and the chill was too much for them. "'But it's remarkable how low a temperature "'a good husky angleworm can stand. "'A professor in the University of Chicago, "'near where I live, "'tells me he has often found "'the ground in the neighbouring park covered with worms after November rains, when his hands and those of the students who were helping him gather them for study were numb with the cold. And how much work do you suppose these farmers do in grinding up and fertilizing the soil? In many parts of England, the whole of the best land, the vegetable mold, passes through their bodies every few years, and they are doing similar work all over the world. They not only fertilize the earth by mixing it with the leaves they eat, and those that decay in their burrows but their castings help to bury fallen leaves and twigs and dead insects and they also bring up lower soil to the surface thus increasing its fertility and by loosening the soil they let in more air remember that roots like people must have air three the mill of the earthworm for the grinding up of the earth and the leaves the earthworm has as i have already said A little mill that he always carries with him do you know what a gold mill is well a gold mill is a mill that grinds up rock and so grinds out the gold the earthworm's mill in a manner of speaking also grinds out gold for it grinds the little particles of stone in the soil and this soil grows fields of golden grain the earthworm's mill is his gizzard this gizzard is made and works very much like the gizzard of a chicken and like the chicken the earthworm swallows little stones to help his digestion. So these stones, too, are ground into soil. Like the chicken's gizzard, the gizzard of the earthworm is lined with a thick, tough membrane, and it has muscles, such muscles. There are two sets of these muscles, and they cross each other somewhat like the warp and woof of the cloth in your clothes. The muscles that run lengthwise are not so very strong, for all they have to do is help the earthworm swallow. But the muscles that run around the gizzard are wonderfully strong. They are about ten times as thick as the other muscles. One of Mr. Earthworm's French biographers calls these muscles veritable armatures, that is, freely translated, veritable hoops of steel. I said in the second paragraph above this that worms swallow grains of sand and stones to help their digestions, as chickens do. But the earthworm saves time, for he takes the stones with his meals just as some Englishmen, fat old squires, when they get along in years, or, for any other reason, are a little weak in their digestive regions, keep pepsin on the table with the pepper and salt. And, believe it or not, the earthworm actually makes his own millstones sometimes. The chalk and the chalky fluid of the glands that help him digest his meals frequently hardens into little grains in grinding the food. It's almost as if the saliva in our mouths, in addition to acting directly on the food, also made a new set of teeth for us. Suppose we had a stomach like the earthworm. Wouldn't it be fun? We could digest the biggest dinners at Thanksgiving and Christmas and picnics and birthdays. We could even eat apples without waiting for them to get quite ripe. Haven't you done it to your sorrow? And no stomach ache and no mince pie nightmares. Why the earthworm never has nightmares. By the way, the earthworm, although he has his troubles like the rest of us, never has nightmares for one thing he has that stomach for worms says mr darwin in that remarkable book of his are indifferent to very sharp objects even rose thorns and small splinters of glass and a still better reason perhaps he never sleeps at night like the moths and the bats and the burglars and members of parliament he makes night his busy day and in other ways while he is so much like the rest of us worms of the dust his life differs from that of most people for instance he not only works by night while we work by day and works underground while we work on top but he takes his vacation in the winter while we take ours in the summer in that respect mr earthworm is like the millionaires at palm beach for in winter he too goes in the direction we call south on the map that is to say down but as you say it takes all kinds of people to make a world including earthworms and millionaires hide and seek in the library who was that in mother goose that went a-fishing for to catch a whale anyhow there are fishworms so big that one might suppose they were made for catching whales how long do you suppose they are these big fishworms a foot pshaw we have fishworms of our own a foot long two feet more three feet more you look it up in the article on the earthworm in the britannica And how many kinds of earthworms do you suppose there are? You will be surprised to learn. Also, you will find that the earthworms have relatives who live in the water all the time. The article in the International tells why these modest neighbors of ours don't come to the surface in the daytime. That will be an interesting thing to know, don't you think so? And did you ever count an earthworm's rings? Other scientists have. All live boys and girls are scientists. They want to know. Try counting the rings of an earthworm, and then compare your figures with those given in the article in the International. How many hearts do you suppose an earthworm has? You will find in the International's article they have a good many of what are sometimes called hearts, and how different the earthworm's circulation system is from ours. Does our saliva do for us anything like what it does for the earthworm, and our pancreatic juice? Compare the earthworm's method of digging his subway with that of the armadillo. How do they differ in the way of using their noses? Do you know how men dig subways, like those under New York City and Boston, for instance? Books that tell about this phase of human engineering, and tell it in a very interesting way, are On the Battlefront of Engineering, New York's Cut*, and Romance of Modern Engineering, City Railways, Travelers and Traveling, How Elevated Roads and Subways Are Built. Speaking of the earthworm's wedge and how he uses it, Do you know that all of man's complicated machinery is the result of only a few simple mechanical principles combined, and that the wedge is one of the most important? Look up wedge, machine, simple machine, etc. in the dictionary or encyclopedia. How does the earthworm's method of pushing his way in the world with the end of his nose compare with the way a root works along in the ground? See chapter 10. The earthworm's neat way of disposing of the dirt he casts out reminds me of how the beaver handles dirt when he builds a canal, and the way of the ants in digging their underground homes. Chapter 6 and 8 We have little brains in our fingertips, just as the earthworm has on the end of his nose. How much do you know about the little brains scattered through our bodies, called ganglia? You see, the simple earthworm is the ABC of a lot of things— and even mr darwin's famous book doesn't contain all there is to be learned about him in books and in personal interviews with mr earthworm himself a farm boy to whom the writer read the story of the earthworm when asked how he thought the worm could turn in his burrow when it fits him so closely said why he turns around in that little room at the end of the hall thereby solving i think a problem that puzzled mr darwin and which he left unsolved End of chapter five.